Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone Just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice For the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car Just to get to where they are Here at the local scene Is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette And I hold my drink I look at all my friends They're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage Waiting for FTV Where are those guys Who's standing next to me With the pipe in his hand Ready to blaze for me About five minutes later We're all singing Queen to get the fuck up on and like the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car To smoke another one And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. Last up on the field for the show tonight is down and dirty and five, so we're headed outside to spark up another joint. Now who's got my light? A stoner E, of course. Shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the U.S. economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of rockin' Rockin' the rollie, you the sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but don't probably do a sloppin' We do what we want What we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Sit back.
That was Audible Smoke, and you're locked in on Down Ballot. I'm producer Dave, and you can find me damn near anywhere. Uh, just a couple programming notes, I guess. Uh, we're back to our regular schedule. No more weeks off of any of our shows, at least till like April. Uh, so we got tomorrow, we got uh, the open panel that starts at uh, 8 p.m. Pacific. And after that, we do uh, Echoplex sessions over on the conduit. We might play some video games before the open panel. We might not, but yeah, you can join the open panel tomorrow night. Just There'll be instructions in the chat. Saturday, we have uh, the uh, Humanist Forum at 11 a.m. That's Pacific time. And then 7 p.m. Pacific, we have the Plex, the big show. And that's all I have to say at the beginning of this one. Greetings, everyone. Greetings, Producer Dave. This is the Councilman. You can find me at T-H-E underscore Councilman, being salty in the Twitters sometimes when I'm not busy corrupting the young minds of America or creeping up on you to eminent domain your property so we can build a freeway. Well, fucking A. Thanks for joining me this week. It was nice having the last week off. It was. It was great. I got to spend some time with the good wife. Um, we don't spend near enough quality time together anymore because we're just both so damn busy with shit. So it's always good to have another hour to spend with her and to, with our, our little pup and uh, watch a little Wheel of Fortune, a little Jeopardy. It's good times. Well, shit, this is our local news show, so let's do some fucking local news. Why not? I think that's a great idea. Um, so what are we leading off with tonight? Fry's Electronics, which is sort of a not just a Bay Area sort of staple, but a like southwestern United States sort of staple. It was all over Arizona, Southern California, New Mexico. There's there some in Nevada. I think there was one in Colorado. So it's like this sort of region. Yeah, I'm like all nine states, a, I think. I'm all drawing a circle around nothing. <laughs> it's the nine-state western region. <clears throat> yeah, so it looks like they closed forever, and uh, some of the customers oh. didn't get the memo. So we're going to watch them show up and try to go, I don't know, not get any help from the staff. Have to ask another customer, like, which one they should buy. And then uh, talk to the reporters about that experience. Ouch. So this is it. Sad. Many Fry's fans found out the store chain closed just this morning. So they reminisced. Uh, they'd feed the nerd in you. About how Fry's had a little bit of everything for techies, from the novice to someone starting his or her own company. No, I'd come here looking for one thing and I'd come out with, with another thing. Uh, Fry's was fantastic. That's because you couldn't find the first thing you were looking for. <laughs> with buildings designed with science fiction and Mayan temples in mind, Fry's thrived on being unusual and diehard customers couldn't get enough, sometimes heading over just to talk shop. But loyalty is only part of the equation for a business and Fry's, with 34 stores at its peak, was too slow to embrace the internet. The way we buy technology has changed. And has struggled for years. It just did not feel like something where you will find many, you know, Gen Zers and, and uh, millennials going into to buy tech. Putting a message on its homepage to say goodbye. It's kind of a Disneyland for computer geeks in the valley and uh, it's, it's going to be sorely missed. Some people also told us the end came quickly and they still have repairs to take care of and items to pick up. The company says it will try to reach out to people in the coming days to wrap everything up. In San Jose, Scott Budman, NBC Bay Area News. Love that guy's name, Scott Budman. I hope he smokes. <sighs> Did you ever purchase electronics at Fry's? Dave? probably between like building machines for myself and helping friends build machines and helping my sister build her own computer, I probably built 50 computers. 
over the course of the years buying parts from fries yeah i, I remember it in high school being a spot where you could get like ten dollar cds right all the latest the latest hits by the, the the latest bands back when people bought cds and they bought like albums children um for those of you who don't know an album is more than one song by the same artist in a series sometimes on a piece of plastic sometimes on a piece of plastic sometimes on a piece of vinyl occasionally on a piece of magnetic tape a long strip of magnetic tape um, surrounded by and- a big piece of plastic Correct. And they would sell these things at Fry's in addition to all sorts of electronic parts and TVs and whatnot. And it was like when you were a kid and you were a kid in the 90s or in the 80s, especially, it was certainly like going to Disneyland in a way. That guy was right. It's like the electronics Disneyland. It was very overwhelming when you were young because there's just so much fun stuff to play with. But for a computer geek, yeah, I can totally see how it would be a, a, a paradise. But like they said, you know, that we're just getting, and it's not just Gen Zers, we're just getting our stuff in different ways now. We're, we're getting our, our, uh, our shop on online. Even if you're getting computer parts, you're more than likely getting them shipped to you. I think, um, you know, you can make a pretty good living doing that. But Maybe. sometimes you need a, a very low quality cable for four times what it should cost and you need it now. <laughs> and that's when you go to fries they had pretty good deals though i mean it was definitely not a place where they were trying to at least i could I uh, thought, big ticket items to... yeah for sure they everything was uh low there but <clears throat> they'd nail you if you needed a printer cable <laughs> or a coax or a you know a bifurcator or something like that or some sort of rca rca cables oh my goodness remember those um i guess we still use them so yeah rip fries so sorry. And uh, what I really loved, I think, especially when you're a kid, what we really loved about fries is on the way out. Because uh, they had the, the, while you're waiting in line for one of the 40 registers, right, with the little flags and signs and lights that they would wave, there's this huge rack of just candy, right? And snacks, like all the big, you know, big packet snacks, red vines and good and plenty and Kit Kat and whatnot. And you could just sit there and like, mow down on some candy that your mom would then have to buy for you <laughs> once you finally <laughs> once you finally got to the fucking register she's like god damn it i can't believe you ate all that shit now i gotta buy it it's like mom if you didn't take me to what you take me to fries for it's for the candy i don't need no you know bifurcated rca cable power adapter mom i thought you were supposed to be attending to your children inside the store mom right jeez mom Anyway, well, R.I.P. R.I.P. Fries. Um, I know John Fry also, the the owner of Fries, it was local to the South Bay and was very much a um, big contributor to charitable causes. So he will be sorely missed, and the the and Fries, his namesake, will be sorely missed as well. Um, so I don't think he's out of money. Probably not, but I think he might be dead. Oh, that could be the thing. <laughs> I forget actually now that I think about it. But um, you know, he's doing fine um, if he's alive. But so he'll figure out a way to, to spend that money, but it won't be coming from fries. Be coming from them residuals and those uh those dividends and stocks and whatnot. So endowments. We're gonna move on to winners and losers. That's Ganadores and Perdedores. Um yeah, I was I'm feeling frisky this week. Uh, a phenomena that we generally in the Bay Area associate with Oakland. Oakland and the East Bay would be a, a sideshow, right? That's generally when we see stories about that, it's happening like on eight eighty you know, somewhere between Hayward and the, the Bay bridge or Correct. just, just, it's just a very like East Bay, like Oakland, San Leandro kind of Hayward thing. Right. 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 But, um, just like Bart, it's coming to the South Bay. 
So all our all the people who were afraid of Bart coming to the South Bay, their fears have been realized. There's sideshows here now. Exactly. And drug dealers. Let's find out more about it. Some neighbors in San Jose are calling on the city to help put the brakes on sideshows like this one. New at 6, KPIX5's Devin Feely tells us there were a half dozen of them just this weekend in the South Bay. Devin? Yeah, so I'm near the intersection of Hamilton Avenue and Lee Avenue. This is where the sideshow happened. Wait, what? Morning, Willow Glen. Willow Glen. Adjacent. Want their neighborhood to become like cities in the East Bay and San Francisco, where sideshows happen often and with apparent impunity. Swirling dark skid marks are visible from the air at the intersection of Hamilton and Lee Avenue. It's like I finally got to use the drone. <laughs> cars fishtailed and spun out in front of a tight circle of spectators, some of them firing guns into the air. It's very tough to wake up to something like that and you hear gunshots. It's just very upsetting and frightening. Neighbors say they're frightened by the gunfire and frustrated by the noisy late night intrusion of the sideshow and what they perceive as the lackluster response by police. There were guns firing, so we don't want um, any. Yeah, say what you want about bike party, but we come unarmed. <laughs> we're just passing through, man. You're just playing some tunes, you know, and the, the loudest noise is like the throbbing bass lines from producer Dave's uh, massive rig but yeah um yeah this is this is interesting uh not to, it you know the, the the cars are one thing but guns and bullets firing in the air like what is this christmas <laughs> anyone catching a stray bullet san jose police say over the weekend there were sideshows in at least four different locations including hamilton and lee in total officers impounded four cars and handed out 45 citations the most san jose thing about that was like right there you saw the cars doing donuts and they were all like late model bmws right <laughs> teslas right <laughs> well tesla i don't think you can get a tesla sideways like that i think they're all wheel drive but Oh, true. That's right. Um, yeah, you have to have a, a rear-wheel drive car with some power, and around here that usually means a BMW, especially yeah. over fucking basically halfway between where you live and where I live or whatever, over in the fucking kind of Willow Glen adjacent area. Kinda, Pretty much. That's not that far um, east from uh, Hamilton and uh, Bascom where the freeway is. Yeah, it's down the street from eBay headquarters, or uh, one of eBay's headquarters, and uh, it's next to a church. I know there's a church on that corner there, a very popular church. Um so yeah, it's it's uh, very interesting uh, to see this development down here. Um, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing we're gonna hear more about it. That the the police are not very excited about having to clean this up, and they may not be showing up right away either. I don't know. No. Um, we've actually had some sideshows here in uh, our neighborhood. Me and the good wife, uh, in in a sort of a smaller way, like four or five cars show up, and one of them just starts doing the little doing their thing. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting how it develops um, just out of the clear, some, sometimes out of the clear blue sky. Um, but someone's planning these things. So ho hopefully we'll, they'll get to the bottom of it eventually. I bet they'll find out who planned this before they find out who uh, planned the fucking attack on the Capitol. <laughs> They're working on it, man. They're working on it. It's a, it's an investigation. It takes time, you know, to really weed, weed those folks out. Um, but they're trying to, I love the phrase, trying to put the brakes on the sideshow. Very cute. Very cute use of, very punny from the local news 
anger. To drivers and spectators alike. We don't want vandalism. We don't want underage drinking. We don't want parties in the middle of the street. I mean, I want the last one. Seriously. It's been nearly two years since San Jose approved a law allowing police to cite and fine up to $1,000 anyone merely watching a sideshow. Councilmember Dev Davis says it was supposed to put the brakes on the illegal gatherings and work for a time. When we first put the ordinance together that cite, that allowed for citations of spectators, we did see fewer and smaller sideshows. Councilmember Davis says those gains have largely been undone by the pandemic. Neighbors just want some assurance that the illegal sideshows won't become a regular occurrence. We're not blind to criminal activity going on, but it's just a little too close to home. So right, it's supposed to be over there, east right. here. We're cool with we're cool with crime in your neighborhood. Neighbors say they're not happy with the police response. What do they want the police to do differently? Well, first off, they say that it took a while for officers to respond here to the scene. Show up like it's a peaceful protest in the afternoon and shoot the councilman. <laughs> Don't shoot. It's me. It was just a single officer who was outnumbered 100 to 1. So that officer really effectively had to wait for backup till there were sufficient numbers so they can clear people out. Now, those numbers that we cited were across the city, across those four or five different sideshows. The numbers here were actually a little bit smaller than that. Gotcha. All right. Devin Feely reporting live. Thanks, Devin. Yeah, it's, it's a sideshow. I don't know. that they, they happen places. It's true. Like the par- parties in the street, you know. I funny story <clears throat> when Miss Davis was first elected councilwoman, she had a proposal to <clears throat> remove all the permit fees for how, uh, block parties, right? Mm-hmm. So we could have parties in the street, <laughs> and this is what you get. <laughs> you open up the floodgates, and, and this is exactly what you get. So now she's saying we no no more parties. That was a bad idea. No more parties in the street. I would pre- I would presume that these sideshows, because the cars are moving ra- relatively slowly, would tend to have a lower body count than like street races. You would hope so. I mean, really, I don't even think that um, that's really the, the point, right? It's just to have. It seems like they're just trying to have some fun, skid out, make a lot of noise, and a lot of throw a lot of smoke in the air, and just ha- have a big party in the street. Um, not so much like the street racing, which kind of seems more like a machismo, you know. And gearhead kind of a thing this is more i think just kids being kids as it were or you know somewhat adults being somewhat adults or yeah. somewhat adults being kids you know there's a lot of empty fries parking lots now yeah right you see it's it seems we have a confluence here between the two stories it's a great point maybe we can get the the side showers to go to the fries parking lot but i think kind of the the thrill that probably does come from being in the you know taking over and being in the middle of an actually an actual street an actual thoroughfare that is being used by a general public to get to whole foods you know um or safeway or or in that case literally whole foods yeah very much so um or to work right or if it's the evening you know they're they're going to grab baskin robbins or something um but yeah, so they're disrupt. You're not just uh, having fun and skid it out. You're you're disrupting general commerce, and that apparently has a a, a thrill to it. Um, I don't know what the kids are doing over here by the high school that we live near. There's really nothing but residential around here, and no one's really watching, especially the cops. So it's not like they're getting any thrill of you know blocking up intersections because there's usually no one in the intersections at the hour that they're there. <laughs> 
Except for me and the good wife, because we, you know, we like to patrol the neighborhood. They're just showing off their cars, man. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, well, uh, I think we found out, we might have found out why the cops aren't there. I, I, they may be getting their vaccines or something. Do you think? Lack of vaccine or flat out refusal. Troubling numbers show that law enforcement in the South Bay behind when it comes to getting vaccinated. In fact, oh. The vaccination rate among San Jose police and Santa Clara County Sheriff deputies is hovering around 50 to 60 percent. Wait, aren't don't they don't cops generally tend to be of the cohort that are <clears throat> less likely to suffer m massive ill consequences? Aren't they generally young to middle aged men? And like, a, I guess women, but it's a, mostly men in the police department, right? Me, meaning that they, they're of a demographic or an age demographic where they're not as susceptible to the serious impacts of the COVID? Yes. It's, uh, in this case, it's more um, the the spreader aspect of it, right? And being able to pass along. Because they they, these are folks that handle a lot of people, unfortunately, handle a lot of people and get uh, come into close contact with a lot of people on a daily basis yeah. in a wide variety. So it's very hard to, if they were contagious it would be very hard to to contain um because they they do come across seniors and people with disabilities and and uh, just about everyone else in the neighborhood at least if they're doing their job properly joins us from a mass vaccination site in san jose with what's being done to change that we're here at the santa clara county fairgrounds where a mass vaccination site has been set up to administer thousands of shots a day there were problems getting officers to the public safety hall here, but starting soon, it should be easier for officers to get shots if they want to. Police officers they want to. are first responders, but at first, if they not want to, given priority as other first responders, such as paramedics and firefighters, because the interaction with the public was viewed differently. When San Jose released figures that indicated only 59% of cops had been vaccinated, the police union says officers were seen unfairly as refusing shots. The POA points out the city only knows how many officers get shots at the public safety hall, not those vaccinated by a private health provider. So the union says compliance is much higher. The POA also says when the county stopped providing first shots on January 29th, only second shots were being scheduled. It left officers in limbo. Primarily now with uh, us being unable to schedule the first shots, uh, it's become a real problem and hindrance. Much of the problems came from a breakdown in communication. The public health department insists it did tell the police department about the January 29th cutoff. Also, the city doesn't require officers to report being vaccinated and, in fact, doesn't require officers to get vaccinated at all. But on February 28th, the county will resume scheduling first shots in the public safety hall. A relieved POA says it hopes that will reassure the public about interacting with officers, though emphasizing they take extreme safety precautions regardless of whether they've been vaccinated. Utilizing their PPE, masks, hand sanitizers, gloves, that nature, the entire screening process to ensure that they are safe and as well as they're keeping the community safe. In fact, the police union found out today that if police officers show up here during working hours, they will be escorted to another hall and will get a shot. With so much sudden availability, it should become apparent soon whether the police numbers lagged because of bad timing or reluctance. In San Jose, Robert Honda, NBC, Bay Area News. Do you think there's a <clears throat> reasonable sized contingent of uh, anti-vaccine police officers? I would have to say so, right? Like, you've got to think that there's some sort of cross-section here, a Venn diagram, where there's there's quite a few of them. Because, I mean, at, 
at the end of the day, you know, we know that police, if you do the, run the numbers, they tend to be more on the right wing side of the, the spectrum, uh, but also the more extreme, but they're just more extreme no matter what, like the folks that uh, end up in law enforcement. And um, yeah, I would not be surprised at all. I mean, uh, if you had a contingent that was just like, no, fuck no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have to get the vaccine. I'm a, I'm a cowboy, right? I'm, I'm invincible. I'm, um, I'm not going to get the COVID or what does it matter if I have the COVID and I give it to some criminal, right? Or I give it to some, some, um, you know, brown or black person that I meet on the street, right? They deserve it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a very cap, I'm sure there's a very cavalier kind of, uh, cross section of your law enforcement that would say, I'm just not going to get it. I do want to believe them that, you know, there are some who are, you know, they're just not tracking things well, right? The county, the city, no one's tracking any of this shit well. So it's very likely that there are more than 50% of, you know, officers. But we've actually heard um, at the county level that 50% have refused to, like, have, have out and out said, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine. And like the reporter said, you can't, they're not, they can't force them, they can't compel them to do it, um, even as a, a, a part of their employment, right? Um, so because they're in a union, uh, so it's, it's really challenging, I think, to, to, uh, to get to that full acceptance, but it's disappointing. There's, I mean, there's t to protect and serve are the words on the side of the car, but I mean, that doesn't really stop them from kneeling on men's throats and, you know, killing innocent or no, maybe, you know, not just killing people, right. For no reason. Um, so why should it prevent them from, uh, disobeying this this sort of moral directive but yeah disappointing so if you're out there um don't hate the cops but also don't let them breathe on you either because <laughs> you never know oh, you never shit. know wear a mask wear a mask if you're going to do wear crime wear a mask especially around the cops very much so i mean you should probably wear a mask if you're going to do crime anyway um just so you know you don't get caught um but yeah don't get caught and if you do get caught you know Get your mask on because those guys don't care about you at all or gals. Um, but we'll see. It's, it's it's an ongoing story, developing story. Um, I think we're seeing it a lot with, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but parents in schools, right? Um, I think you've got this, another cross-section of parents who are anti-vaxxers and, you know, want to send their kids to schools to be super spreaders, but now they're complaining because the schools aren't, you know, aren't, uh, aren't opening so that they, they can send their kids to their babysitter. Um, so same parents. Yeah. We, we covered this before and we covered the beginning of this. This is a, if you, if you could imagine it, an affluent South Bay city, a Los Gatos had a, something that appeared to be a scandal where some of the teachers at a Los Gatos public schools were able to, I guess, supposedly jump in line to get a vaccine before they were supposed to Here's, jump uh, in the, the local line. news is a follow-up from their investigative unit. New tonight, we're getting a deeper look at how a staff members at an affluent South Bay school district jumped the line and got vaccinated, pretending to be health care workers. After the scandal broke between the Las Gatas School District and Good Samaritan Hospital, our investigative unit requested internal emails. Investigative reporter Candace Wynn just went through the first batch. The emails start with a hospital anesthesiologist who appears to be married to an employee here at the school district. The email chain ends with the superintendent saying the district intentionally downplayed its recent support for the hospital at a school board meeting. 
The first email went out early morning, January 21st. Good Samaritan Hospital anesthesiologist Richard Briones did a quick reintroduction between hospital COO Gary Pruz Shodham and Los Ganos Union School District Superintendent Paul Johnson. The district had collaborated with Good Sam earlier with its Feed Our Heroes project, which helped feed healthcare workers. Briones wrote he'd shared news <coughs> surrounding access to the COVID vaccine for education staff. The hospital COO said he needed to check if they were eligible. Then five minutes later emailed, you are good to go, which was incorrect. Only phase 1A patients could get vaccinated at the time, meaning healthcare workers and long-term care residents. Educators were not yet eligible. But Johnson emailed his education staff saying because of their Feed Our Heroes program, Good Sam would like to offer vaccines. All they had to do was register under health care, which actually required them to attest under penalty of perjury that they were health care workers. Among the staff who got vaccinated was Karen Briones, Los Gato Unified's communication coordinator, who owns a home with Good Sam anesthesiologist Richard Briones, who, you'll recall, started the email chain. She wrote, I received mine this morning, confirming there was no option for education when she booked her appointment. Still, she asked if more appointments could be made available for school staff, to which Good Sam COO responded, the schedule will be opened in the next few hours. Later that night, Superintendent Johnson wrote, Good Sam COO shared concerns about messaging. Johnson reassured him at a board meeting that evening, he and district staff made sure not to tie Feed Our Heroes to the vaccines. On Monday, Johnson referred us to a previous statement saying the district did not intentionally skip ahead, apologizing for his characterization of their Feed Our Heroes program. Good Sam's parent company said in a statement, we have had only positive intentions. The county withheld vaccines from Good Sam until it could show it was following guidelines. The hospital says it has since closed its vaccination clinic and has disciplined its COO. The Brionises have not responded to our request to speak with them. Candace Wen, NBC Bay Area News. When the communications professionals get caught up in a communication in a public scandal, who do you go to? <laughs> There's no spokesperson left. Like, how stupid do you have to be if well, you're going to gonna, if writing, you're gonna, yeah. like quietly get some of your staff ahead in line because of a connection you have with the hospital? Don't email anyone about it. It's called a phone chain, folks, a phone tree. You call one person and they call 10 people and they call 10 people and suddenly everybody knows about it. And that's how you call it a phone tree. Like yeah, you shouldn't, no, ser seriously. shouldn't be engaged in this, this kind of dishonesty in the first place, but don't fucking use like your official emails to engage in this. What kind of <laughs> dumb shit is this? It's just the same kind of dumbassery where it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's even not so much dumbassery as it is just ignorance and just assuming that, you know, everything's okay. Like, no, th there's no discerning. There's no questioning. There's no, you know, uh, th you know, foresight or thought. Like, man, I don't know if this is the best thing to be doing or the most ethical thing. They just didn't figure it was a bad thing. So that's why it's all over their public email. And you can file a public record request and find all this shit out. Because they didn't think it was bad. They didn't think it was a bad idea. Um, so um, I don't think these folks are dumb. They're just... Uh, arrogant and uh or just ignorant or something nant i don't know what it is but yeah not not good not a good look i mean at the end of the day great some teachers got vaccinated you know none of the vaccines went to waste right so there hasn't been any anything like that but it's it's more just you're opening yourself up to 
um, to problems and, and to controversy that you really don't need. Like nobody needs this shit. We have so many bigger problems, right? Uh, that Candace Wynn could be covering and she's covering this. So it's, it's frustrating. And a communications professional should know better. Karen, you should definitely know better. I'm not going to say whether or not I know Karen, but uh, I do. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> just no, just don't. This this is not this is not good. Um, not a good look for the hospital. Not a good look for the school district. Um, and at the end of the day, they all both have to fend off all the critics. And in the meantime, we're still got people dying, and you needed the vaccine. But my mom got her vaccine. So she's so she got her second dose. So maybe I can hug her again soon. My parents too. Oh, good. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, she's very excited, and she didn't have any bad side effects. So go out and get your vaccines, folks. If you're on if you're on the schedule, teachers in Santa Clara County, um, you can start uh, on Sunday. You will be able to. You're you're on uh, you're on the list. So get out there starting Sunday and get vaccinated, so we can get our we can get our kids back in school. Because I know that everyone really wants that. I think streamers are last on the list. Yeah, yeah. Although um, I think media professionals of some sort are on the list somewhere, or me- media uh, function. And then if you're a, a smoker or a former smoker, producer Dave, um, that is a pre-existing condition, and it's a it's a health condition that could um, lead you to being more susceptible. So I think you're actually eligible if you're interested. And I am too, as a former smoker. Hmm. Well, well, current smoker. If I can just get this clog out of my vape pen. All right, so we're going to move on to another story here in Winners and Losers. It looks like people are like growing weed on property that doesn't belong to them, and the fucking they're they're chopping down the weed plants. Bastages. They should just like uh, socialize, uh, public, make the weed plant, make the weed, uh, make the weed public, uh, harvest it, and then uh, raffle it all off. And do it on company email. It's legal to use pot. Whoa. But it's not legal to grow it on public land, parks, or on somebody's private property without them knowing about it. <laughs> Hold on, we need a moment of silence for all that fucking weed. Jesus, Jesus Christ! Christ. <laughs> that was that was sad. That's the worst part of these things. It's like, it, oh man, the the humanity. God. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious about this on someone's private property without them knowing about it. That's that's a new one to me. Yeah. Yeah, they're just using like usually it's like parks and shit where they do it like right not like the park down the street from me but like the parks in the hills right yeah <laughs> yeah the park down the street from you is more like softball and frisbee and you know barbecues generally law enforcement says these illegal grows are the work of a crime cartel they're using someone else's water you know doing hey we know her the environment uh leaving a mess and it's not the legal kind of grow. Today, the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Marijuana Eradication Team, known as MET, along with state wildlife officers, returned to the scene of a recent raid, a hidden grow deep in the South Bay foothills on state land where the terrain is torn up. Officers removed pipes designed to steal water from Berryessa Creek and cleaned up damage, including numerous empty containers of pesticides, many banned in the U.S. The poisons that are being introduced here at the marijuana growing sites are probably causing the most permanent damage because of the um, effects here on the wildlife. One of the Met members who asked not to be identified agreed. 
nearby, we usually find dead birds, um, dead rodents, we have found deer, foxes. Despite removing hundreds of thousands of marijuana plants and cleaning up the environmental... We have found deer, foxes. Despite removing hundreds of thousands <laughs> of marijuana plants and cleaning up the environmental damage that's left behind, the Met team faces up, up the post-raid cleanups by... Oh, their shit's fucked up. Some sites will just be jumping around. ...until pesticides yeah. dissipate, and then officers will find out during May budget hearings if they will return. In Santa Clara County, Robert Honda, NBC, Bay Area News. I don't know, don't fucking pollute the land, but I just had a big sad over all that weed that at the very beginning, I'm like, you know, couldn't you like, couldn't you do something else about this? Like, Yeah, the weed didn't do anything to you. I mean, it's not the the weed's fault that these idiots were growing it there. Um, You know, so break it up and do a public service. Give it out to, I mean, there's people living on the streets. They're probably not, you know, having much fun, but you could at least give them a good time and they can forget about their troubles for a day or two. Like, you know, hand out, just hand it out. Break it down and hand it out. And you could probably create some jobs, too, like, you know, de-seeding it and stemming it and uh, packaging it. I mean, it could be a little industry. I don't see why the government doesn't get involved in that. They can make a little extra money. Yeah. But. I, I, I mean, I, if, like, <clears throat> there's, like, I know there's probably some logical fallacy at play here, but I figure if the people have already fucking polluted the land and you're going to fucking take their weed from them anyway, find a way to, like, ethically finish growing the fucking weed and sell that shit and sell give the it. money to the fucking library. Ooh, I like that idea. The library could definitely use it right now too. Um, yeah, it's, it's just so sad. The waste, the waste. Um, but uh, have you have you ever grown? Have you ever grown marijuana yourself, there, producer Dave? I certainly have. It's an ex- it's an exciting proposition. We've had some uh, some some no. plants in our. No, no, not good. No, it's a if you grow more than like fucking a handful of plants it's actually like a very difficult job oh man really it's like hard and shit yeah we, we had about about that many um over here the good wife and i for a while and then uh started to get started to track some some snickers from the gardener <laughs> like uh oh look what you got there um so had to had to bring those had to rein those in but um it's very nice when you can do it for personal consumption because definitely saves you a lot of money and you have the satisfaction of growing your own as opposed to and smoking it yourself. It's great. Yeah, when I was growing weed, it was not for personal consumption, sir. I understand. It was a bit of a, well, was a bit, it was a sea of green scenario going on. Well, well, we don't need to talk about that too much on this, on this, uh, this here stream, but we, you know, we can, we can connect offline as the kids say. Yeah. I don't, whatever it was. It was, it was like kind of fun, but it was mostly a job. It's no longer happening, is what you're saying. Yes, of course. So, not. so, yes, of course. So, it's okay to talk about. It, I think. I think. I think the statute of limitations has probably passed gas. Oh, it was fucking like 2001. Yeah. No, I think we're well past that now, and no one's going to come after you now. It's you know, like they said, it's legal. You just can't grow it on someone else's property, or public property, for that matter. Anyway, well, um, R.I.P. to the Ganj. Um, the MET is coming for you. Watch out. The marijuana eradication team of all the things to eradicate. We, we have so many other things. Where's the, where's HET? Where's the homelessness eradication team? Where is the PET, the poverty eradicate, eradication team? I mean, if we had, if we had those things, I would be concerned. 
because yes. they would not be the sorts of things that you and I would be in favor for if they were trying to if they were like oh we have a team to eradicate the homeless I'm like the hell you do right oh no homelessness right like yeah, yeah. Erad- eradicate the eradicate the not the yeah, not the people um so uh yes rest in peace marijuana um but we, we shall we shall see we shall see what what, what comes but um Laurie Smith's going to be uh, popping up in our in our feed pretty soon again too there's there's more developments coming in her case so stay tuned um maybe she needs to smoke a little ganja relax because she'd be going to jail soon better do it while she can exactly exactly um well cool uh i think we're almost done with the, with the winners and losers but i want to say we have one more nope that was winners and losers sir that was it oh well there you go then well let's let's move right on um to our favorite segment get your shit together um typically this had been about san francisco or at least for a long while it was about san francisco because san francisco had a lot of shit to get together um and they still do but in the meantime we're going to take a little jaunt over to contra costa county um where speaking of teachers and school boards um and parents some school board members from the oakley school district got caught saying the truth on a public webinar KPI X5's Juliet Goodrich with the new fallout after that school board meeting that outraged so many parents. Juliet? You know, those comments went viral. And first, one board member resigned. And then this evening, we learned the entire board resigned. Like, Fuck it. And that left the, <laughs> we out. the Board of Education scrambling to figure out what to do next. Yes, I was listening in to the meeting, and it was shocking. PTA member Katie Patterson has two children. In the- Katie was like, they were talking about other parents. It's fine. It wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. Oakley Union School District, and just learned about the board stepping down. Shocking what they said. Understandable that they resigned. All four Oakley Union Elementary School Board members resigned after their conversation was streaming live. Are we alone? Yeah. <laughs> they thought they had a private moment, but parents had already logged onto the board meeting to hear members discussing angry parents on a hot mic. If you're going to call me out, I'm going to you up. And they- oh, I love her. Behind the scenes, and it's really unfortunate that they want to pick on us because right. they want their babysitters back. Right. Right. That's what made me angry, is when she suggested that we were looking for babysitters. I do not need a babysitter. Hello, hello. I live up on the hill. We have staff. <laughs> I have a nanny. Petition calling for the board's resignation collected more than 6,000 signatures. The superintendent first responded by sending out this voicemail. There were unfortunate and truly inappropriate comments made. That were heard by many. And tonight, an email went out district-wide stating all four board members had resigned and three of them issued a joint statement saying, quote, this was a difficult decision, but we hear the community's concerns and we believe yielding to your request that we step down will allow the district to move forward. So which one of y'all wants to deal with this? <laughs> right. I don't, I think, uh, what's her name here? Katie? She. I think she wants to run uh, to replace these folks. Oh, also heavens for, no. Also, four board members? How do you come to any sort of, like, decision? If, what, I bet if it's, it's not too, contentious in Oakley. Well, generally, school board votes aren't contentious. Generally, school boards don't know what the hell they're doing and just sort of vote whatever staff tells them 
is the right thing to do. Um, so generally speaking, yeah, they're probably unanimous votes. But uh, I wonder what happens when they get to a two-two vote. Like, what does the superintendent break the vote? But he's not he or she's not elected. Like, what's up with that? So um, very, it'll be very interesting to see how they they go about replacing these uh, the, the entire board. It looks like that's a, that's a new one. Coming, everybody's been asking for it. There's the petition. Yeah, so these parents, Juliet, got what they wanted. School board's out, but what happens now? Yeah, they got what they wanted, but they definitely want their kids back in class. It'll be up to the Contra Costa <laughs> County Board of Education President, Annette Lewis. She appointed herself and Mike Maxwell to temporarily be on the board. They'll appoint one more person. That's all temporary, though, Ken. They'll have to have a special election for the board. And parents aren't done yet. They plan to rally tomorrow at City Hall to figure out how to safely get their kids back in class. Oh, no, but you just fucking, like, the people, oh, no, okay, so, like, I fucking, like, I probably, you probably see this exactly the same way as I did. These people made a mistake. They thought their meeting wasn't live. They were venting their frustrations with their job, right? which people do. And they were speaking fairly, I mean, to be honest with you, having dealt with these issues quite a bit, they were, they were speaking the truth. Like, they, these folks are getting, or they're volunteers, they are a lot of them are parents themselves. Um, and that's really why a lot of people run for school board is because they're a parent and they're sick of, you know, they, they want to have more control over what their kid's education looks like. Um, so they're just like the parents, frankly, and they're getting, you know, like most school boards now are getting attacked from all sides. And we'll hear about it a little bit for even from mayors of their cities who have no control over them. They're getting attacked and for following the rules and trying to develop a sensible, safe plan for reopening. But there's rallies and, and uh, press conferences being had that they're saying that they're, you know, they're they're the bad guys. Um, so it, I think, frankly, was it inappropriate? Sure. Were the, should they have known that they were that their webinar was live and that people could see them and hear them? Sure. Um, but it's one of those situations where you told the truth. You know, you, you spoke the truth and uh, that's the last thing you wanted to do. And I'm um, guessing, you know, the kinds of people that we... <clears throat> are doing videos of that I'll be doing videos of later tonight who are like at these anti-mask protests or or just kind of fed up with all this and are like venting about it on Facebook Live and shit. That's probably like the kinds of people they're hearing from about opening the school. Like completely oh, unreasonable people who are calling in and giving them some law lecture and shit about like absolutely. the 14th Amendment or some fucking crap that the, the, per the person on the fucking phone doesn't know about and the person who the school board member is actually not a 14th Amendment expert. Yeah, no, absolutely. This uh, what they're getting. They're here, and the thing is, what the people they're hearing from—that's the real problem here—are the Karens or the Katies or the Jennies of the world, right? The the people that actually do have, you know, resources and affluence, and they can probably hire a nanny or hire a tutor or you know all you know they could send their kids to private school if they really wanted to. But no, they want to take advantage of what we're all entitled to, which is a free public education in this country. So they feel like they're you know entitled to this free service and it is and there are parents who freaking look at this as babysitting even if they don't think of it that maybe they don't think of it that way maybe they don't it use allows that them word. to work yeah maybe they don't use that word but it is fucking daycare you know but not just daycare they're actually the kids are actually getting educated they're actually learning things you know god forbid right. like um, these aren't like these are two mutually exclusive ideas that the kids are being cared for during the day while the parents are at work and they're also learning arithmetic like, come right. on. Right. Um, 
And it's not as though teachers and school administrators are like, oh, ha, ha, we don't have to take care of your kids anymore. We're just going to stay closed. It's like, no, you don't get into that job. You don't volunteer for the school board. You don't get paid jack shit to be a teacher if you don't want to do the job, if you don't love the job, if you don't want to educate and take and take care of these kids. Right. So to to say that they don't want to be back is ridiculous because you don't do that job. It's, it's so it's said by, it's something that's said by people who've never done the job and don't have that kind of passion and get paid too much to do very little in their own, in their day jobs. Um, and don't know what it's really like to, to struggle and to actually have to teach and to, to, uh, to impugn lessons on, on young people and to corral 32 crazy hormonal kids in a room for an hour at a time right like they have no idea they they deal with their one kid or their two kids they're good you know exactly for like a couple hours every day but they shuttle them off for eight hours a day to school and this and they trust the school's gonna deal with them and then of course when something goes awry right Suddenly, it's like the uh, they go apoplectic, their hair's on fire, and they realize, oh shit! You know, I've been leaving my kid to you know to other people to be handled by other people, and I don't like the way that they're doing it. Right? What if I came into their house and said, I don't like the food you're feeding this kid? Right? <laughs> That's pretty much what you're saying. And so they're they're going on the attack against the only people they can go on the attack against the school board because they're the public you know representatives, and the school board members got you know upset but like like i said they you know you got to be smarter just like don't share this shit on email don't share this shit on a freaking live webinar although i've you know i i know how it happened i know exactly how it happened um just knowing zoom a little bit so just be careful be a little more careful about telling the truth in in certain company um but yeah parents got to got to relax and, and and back off we're all making sacrifices here they're not the only ones that are that are suffering so and oakland's about, like nestled in like uh pittsburgh bay point antioch yeah brentwood like con- and it's yeah. if i'm not mistaken it's like not like those places it's more like walnut creek or san ramon to yeah. the west of them right it's the <clears throat> oakley is like the kind of upper class city of that region of the greater bay area Yes, they have a, their school district has a wood carved sign out front, right? Like (laughs) they're very much affluent. Um, So these are a lot of parents who could probably afford if they wanted to, like there's private schools that are open now, if they really wanted their kids back in school, they could pay for that. But no, they just don't, they don't want any of that. They just, they do want their babysitter back, unfortunately. And that it's, uh, again, sad situation that, that, that it came to this point, but they're not alone that this is, this is happening um everywhere it's just that these guys got caught saying it out loud i you know this is the kind of stuff that anyone who works in public service says a lot right in private company um on phones or uh you know uh one-on-one or it's just it's just that we don't have enough opportunity to socialize it right now so they're getting their yayas out on zoom and unfortunately everyone was listening this time so i'm going to kind of maybe broaden this out a little bit if you notice sort of the stuff we're covering around this be it the los gatos school district um, be it the fact that the anti-mask protests here in the South Bay have all happened in Saratoga, Los Gatos, Campbell, Cupertino. We're starting, starting to see a pattern with this kind of this sort of acting out against uh, like regulation to keep everyone safe. And at least locally here in the Bay Area, it's happening in the places with high property value. Yeah. It's, it's entitlement. It's absolute entitlement. Like we're getting to that point. It's been almost a year since we've been sheltered here in, 
in Santa Clara County. We were one of the first counties to go into shelter March 16th last year. Um, and I, there's definitely some pent up aggression. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of pent up anxiety and frustration, and it's all just coming out in all the wrong ways and in all the wrong directions. Um, but it's, it's really comes down to entitlement because at the end of the day, like I was getting at earlier, like uh, the, the folks who are, you know, working class who have like three jobs they're trying to hold down just to put food on the table, right. That are having to go out and be around all this COVID and all this madness all day, working at Safeway, working at the, at the gas station, whatever, right. Working for Amazon. They, um, you know, they're putting their lives on the line, their health on the line every day. And they don't have the time to go to a freaking rally to tell the school district to reopen the damn school. Right. They don't, they don't have time to, uh, to go down to a meeting or even go to a zoom meeting and, and make offer comment. Right. And even if they do more than likely, I mean, a lot of them, uh, unfortunately, you know, they don't, you know, English is a second language. Sometimes they don't have translation services and it's awkward and they uh, awkward getting access to these uh, elected officials anyway. Right. So the folks that are uh, able to do this and to raise hell are the one very ones who have this entitlement and, 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 and could afford to, um, to do something else, right? And to can and actually have time to spend with their kids, and if they really wanted to, could be helping them with their their um, distance learning. But no, the kids are like a nuisance, right? Um, that's at least what it seems like. Um, and then you've got a whole swath of people. This is supposedly an equity issue, but the whole the people who really need the the schooling and uh, like special ed kids and um, and lower income communities, like they're not getting it either. They're not getting the services, and it's hurting them more. Right. It's it, uh, we're all making sacrifices, all of us. But and a they, big one that occurs yeah. to me, too, is that like, <clears throat> you know, the parent you're talking about that's working two jobs has maybe two parents, both working two jobs and they have kids. That family has already had to adapt in dramatic ways just to the realities of life in a place like San Jose. Right. So this <clears throat> it's more for them to deal with. But in a way they're better prepared for this adversity because of the kinds of adversity they've had to deal with before where it was like, I don't know if I'm going to have a place to fucking live. That's and so while this point. is not, not to like say that, Oh, this isn't a problem for the poors because they're used to bad situations. Right. It's just, it's, it's I'm saying the opposite. They're like, they seem to be more resilient. They're they are. more they are. able to manage because they've already had to manage things that are difficult with their time and their family. And so they're more, equipped these people who've never really had to deal with that or to the extent that they have they've only had to deal with it when they were young and they were starting out now they own a single family house in willow Glen or los gatos or something they're not right. used to it and so like the boat rocking a little bit is like not for them it's it's not working for them that's a real good point you know they've never had to experience uh, trauma or struggle or challenges, you know, and so this is the, the for the first time the world has put them in a position where they actually have to work um, and they they have to they have to struggle. Um, and you're right, it, it's it's just unfortunate that the world already took a dump on a lot of these a lot of folks, and this and with this pandemic, it's just like an extra burden. Like it's just it just keep, they keep getting their heads crapped on, and no one's and and these folks who could be advocating for everyone, right? They could be there. They could be supporting each other and you know um, trying to help each other. Instead, they're bitching and moaning about the shit that everyone's going through, right? As if they're the only ones, as if um, it's as if their kids are more important than the next door kid, right? Um, 
And that's that's really unfortunate. But you're right. Like uh, there's a resilience out there in the community um, that is um, pretty it's inspiring in some ways, but at the same time, it's really depressing because it's just all this is doing is exposing shit that was going on prior to COVID, right? Like I'm actually waiting for the person who's working these two jobs to show up at one of these meetings and go, listen, this is hard for everybody, but I notice all the people here complaining seem to be, uh, seem to be my Mercedes neighbors. And, um, I want the kids going back to school when it's safe too. But I do, I work at these two places and my wife works at this place and we've been able to cope so can you I, that's yeah. the moment that i'm waiting for in all of this is yeah. for somebody well, you, to just come up at one of these meetings dressed just like everybody else and be like you know my life was already hard but we've managed to cope and i'm getting a little tired of this yeah we're figuring this shit out you know and you, you, everyone's everyone's sacrificing get off your fucking high horse right um no yeah that's that's that's, that's what needs to be said if you look at the polls right if you look at the people who are just responding to to surveys like 70% of parents, 70% of teachers, 70% of the general public doesn't want kids to have to go back to school until all the safety protocols are being met, right? Um, it's really this minority, it's the Trumpian 30% minority that is uh, making the most noise because they can, right? Um, and and they're the ones that are really calling for all this. The, majority, the overwhelming majority of people want everything to go on a nice steady progression and be safe and doesn't want anyone else to get sick, especially not their kids or their teacher. So I has, you know, so I, I want to, it's good. I think it's good to remind folks that the most of us <laughs> are, are interested in, in, um, in, you know, in getting, getting through this in a safe, uh, reasonable manner. And we're not about to pop off on people who are trying their best to make, um, make things right. Well, it's that ounce of prevention is a pound of cure shit, right? It's like, we're, 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 I'm get, uh, this stuff is actually it's like making me kind of mad right now because we like we can finally with the vaccine becoming more widely available i think we can see the light at the end of this fucking tunnel oh hell yeah and like oh yeah you know if you've been trying to it's a it's kind of a shitty metaphor but if you've been trying to walk through the tunnel this whole time now you can see the light and you start complaining fuck off right right and it uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, you're right. I, I have nothing else to say. I'm just so frustrated. I'm so frustrated with people's entitlement these days and, and thinking that they're more special than the next person, um, or they're more important or they're just, you know, they deserve to be heard more than anyone else. And their kid, their poor kid is the one that's suffering. It's like, we're all suffering, man. Just get over it and wear your mask, get your fucking vaccine and maybe pitch it and help. Don't just bitch. Like what, what are you going to do to help? How are you going to help solve it? Do you have any ideas? Right. Uh, the good, I mean, you gotta be, ha- I'm really happy actually that public teacher, public school teachers have unions, right? P- private school teachers don't have that luxury. So they're, so they're getting forced back into the classroom because they just want to keep their job right in some ways. And it may not be totally safe yet, but most public school teachers are in, are unionized and the unions are there fighting for their safety, right? Parents don't have a union. Um, unfortunately, maybe they should, um, but uh, th- that's the only thing that's keeping unions are right now are the only thing that's keeping us from having a massive super spreader situation in our schools because they're the ones that are working with the districts to make sure that all the protocols are being followed. Um, so don't. So if you one of those folks that likes to bash unions and bash teachers unions especially, there's a reason why they spend all that money. The re- reason they raise all that money is to defend their members and defend the teachers and defend the kids. Frankly, at the same time. So that's that's my soapbox. So we're going to move on to my third favorite segment on this show. It was the down ballot watch. 
And we got uh, Mayor Sam Licardo. Uh, I don't know anything about this clip. You said that he's a... Uh... This is related. Um, this is absolutely related. So this is a... This is an example of a, a city leader, um, in this case, the leader of the 10th largest city in, in America, uh, cosplaying as a school school leader when s- cities and counties really don't. I mean, county health officers do, but um, most, you know, unless you're on the school board, you don't have any purview over the schools. So you can't tell you can't tell them or order them to do anything, but it doesn't prevent him from trying. Every educator will tell you there's no better place for a child to learn than inside the classroom. But they say without the proper funding and infrastructure in place, you can't bring them all back to the classroom safely. These parents made a strong case today for schools to reopen in San Jose. How can I do with my kids? I need to go to work. Nobody take care of my kids. I need to pay babysitting. I don't have money. Que la educación de nuestros niños está quedando rezagada. Crescenciano says his kids' education is lagging behind. We do not have to wait for Sacramento. Mayor Sam Licardo brought the parents along to help his push to get schools to reopen ASAP. It's politics, however, that has opened our card clubs, our marijuana dispensaries, and our bars. Dude, your bar's not... Oh, no! What did he say? Our bars? I, I My bar's not open. I don't know about you. But, Quintero uh, says his district alone needs $9 million first to add classroom safety modifications to meet CDC guidelines. Plus, San Jose teachers who live outside of expensive Silicon Valley cannot get vaccinated here. They have to go to their county of residence because of a supply shortage. It's a bullying tactic and uh, attempting to use our kids as... Uh, as, as, as pawns in a political chessboard. This is unacceptable. The mayor says there are state and other funds available to help schools get post-COVID ready. But Quintero, whose district has the most COVID cases in the county and only a few vaccination sites, says he won't open his schools until he feels it's totally safe. And that could be next fall. In San Jose, Damian Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Okay. So there you had the... the uh hardworking working class brown families basically being used as pawns like mr quintero said in I'd the say neighbors. it's a prop yeah completely like a prop it's it's so that is even more frustrating to me it's like they you know come show up and talk about how frustrating things are they they don't they don't understand these folks don't understand how the the political you know games at play here and the mayor's attempt to to remain relevant after he terms out next year right and to have some sort of legacy um they don't understand all of that uh, they're just told to, to be someplace and to talk about their feelings and their and their experiences, right? Um, and they get used and caught up in this this basically a sham, right? Um, like what what are, what is what is the mayor attempting to accomplish here? Um, that makes me hate him. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm incredibly frustrated lately with him because he uh, he seems to be going th- going through that Karen uh, mentality that we were just discussing. Like he's just like these parents where you know he's he's seeing how difficult it is to manage in a crisis to lead in a crisis and he's his first reaction is not to like roll up the sleeves just go do the work right go be a mayor go be a leader do the work no his first instinct is to have a freaking press conference right go go have your meetings with these different school districts within the fucking within your within your city and find out what they need from you for fuck's sake right he's yeah. So the backstory is he um, he set up a 501c4, which is like an advocacy nonprofit, um, basically to it's called Solutions San Jose. Um, God. And the fir- oh, the he's first running for governor. 
Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's what he wanted to do at one point. But I think he's realizing his profile wasn't big enough. He hired a D.C. consultant to help with uh, the mayor's office, you know, getting more more press stories plugged in, in, in national news. He's really trying to build his profile all in the name of saying, well, it's built San Jose's profile, too. And that helps us. Well, whatever. It's definitely helping you a lot. Um, maybe. Uh, but I think he's also realizing he's he's just sort of floundering and not able to do that um, because he doesn't have uh, necessarily the political backing here anymore. So he's setting up his own little astroturf organization and the first thing out the gate that they're doing is trying to reopen you know bitch about reopening the schools raising money behind that to a c4 where he doesn't have to disclose the donors it's it's all private um and he's building this little uh you know war chest to and beating his chest right when he could be going back to the damn you know to the the desk and doing the work and helping people um he had a they had a proposal the other day in front of city council to give hazard pay to grocery store you know, clerks, uh, give them like, I think it was $3 extra an hour for four months. Holy shit. Right. And not, not like your mom and pop grocery stores, like Target, Walmart, you know, uh, Costco, even though they already pay their employees well, Safeway. Right. Um, I'd exempt Costco from that because Costco already pays three to $5 higher than everybody. I think they were going to, yeah, I think they were going to anyway. And they were, it wasn't going to impact them anyway, because they were already paying uh, a certain high level. But uh, regardless, like there was a proposal like that on the table at the city council and he voted against it. And he was, he did nothing but shill for the the grocery industry. And the people that were getting going to benefit from that are the same people he's talking about helping, you know, these low income people of color, people in vulnerable communities. So you can't have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. You can't say that you're some social justice warrior fighting for these kids and then tell them that their parents parents aren't going to get three bucks extra an hour for four months, God forbid, because, you know, you want to be a shill for fucking Walmart. And that's exactly what's going on. And so uh, Mr. Quintero from uh, Allen Rock School District and about 20 other school school leaders um, fired back and they put out a letter today basically saying that, like, you know, what, what the hell, man? Why are you coming after us? Why aren't you doing what you can as a city leader within city policy as the mayor of the city to help us. Why are you trying to do our jobs? We know how to do our jobs. We're doing, we're trying our best to do our jobs. You do your job. Right. But he doesn't want it. He's never wanted to do his job. It seems like he's always wanted to try and do other people's jobs. And I, I guess it's just because he doesn't want to be mayor. Maybe <laughs> he doesn't like, he doesn't like being a city leader. He wants to be something else. Um, and this is just sort of a, not even a stepping stone, just sort of a, a place to be a place to put up his feet for a little while until he can find the next thing. And it's, that's not what this is all about. It's not about photo ops and press conferences and fancy logos and, and um, spreads in the, the New York Times. This is about, it's city government. It's, it's about the 90% of your life that's, that, you know, it's about impacting 90% of people's daily lives. That's what city does. City government is the most direct, um, has the most direct impact on residents of any level of government. And you have the most opportunity, therefore, to make a difference immediately, to not have to wait around and, and dilly-dally and wait for the wheels of bureaucracy to turn. You can actually have an impact in people's lives tomorrow if you wanted to in city government. That's the beauty of it, of local government. And he's not taking advantage of that. He's trying to be governor. He's trying to be Senator Licardo or Attorney General Licardo and not Mayor Licardo, which is his job right now. <laughs> so that that is incredibly frustrating. And it's really aggravating, not just the residents, you know, not just people in the community and these school board members, but also his colleagues on the council, people who are trying to get things done. And he's standing in the way because he's out for himself and he's not really out for the public. And I say that as someone who voted for him, I'll say that right now. I voted for the man. 
I thought he would be, I didn't think he was the best choice in the world, but he was the best choice of what was out there from my perspective. But he's completely failed, in, in my opinion, in terms of living up to the promise that he had. Um, so it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating right now. But, you know, there's not going to be a recall. You know, there's no, there's no other election for him. He's done after next year and there will be a new mayor. Um, and he'll go right off into the sunset and see what his next role is going to be. Um, but if he keeps this up, he's not going to have any friends left at the end of the day to help him get there. So before we move on to our next story, the one last thing I want to say is I thought I liked Sam Licardo before I started doing this show. <laughs> A lot of people did, you know, and, and he's changed. I'll, I'll say this. He's been he's the he's been in City Hall for since 2006. I want to say he was first elected to the council. So he's got the longest tenure there of anyone. And, you know, at one point he was a good meaning local public servant. Um, and, and he had good ideas and he had good intentions. And I think he just got lost. I think just like a lot of people, he got lost in the ego of the job and he let that take over. And that's, that's really unfortunate because he's smarter than that. He's, he is more talented than that. And he has more, uh, he is, uh, has more ideas than that, but it's, it's, he's just gotten caught in his own, in his own web, unfortunately. Well, we're going to move on to the next story. And as someone who has to pee, it. I'm really glad this video is long. <laughs> Um, we're going to, we're going to look at the, uh, there's a Q and a for the, uh, the upcoming San Jose police chief. And, Correct. Uh, I'm going to let the councilman hang out with you for the beginning of this while I, uh, pee and, uh, pour myself a fucking vodka cocktail cause it's, uh, it's already after nine. So yeah, we go. can probably get, we can probably get through just the opening statements here. This is, if you want to go watch it, this is on the city's YouTube channel. Um, it's a pretty long forum, but this is a forum with the six. Now it's down to four. Um, I should say now after this. Um, it got whittled down to four, but these are the six candidates to replace Eddie Garcia as the new chief of police for San Jose. And this is the public forum uh, to interview them all. One, um, my name is David Sykes. I'm the city manager here in San Jose. Oh, Dave. And I want to welcome everyone today's, uh, to today's police chief candidate forum. Um, as has been well. Nice Mac side, desktop. We've done everything we can to uh, establish a, a diverse candidate pool and a, and a candidate pool that has internal and, and external perspectives. And I believe we have uh, achieved those objectives. Um, this is the first time uh, that we as a city have uh, developed a process like this, a, a transparent process whereby you, the community, get to see the finalists. Um, and that's what today's about. Um, and I think we certainly all recognize the importance that a police chief plays, uh, the role that they play in terms of serving our community. Uh, make no mistake about it, all of these candidates are qualified. They have decades of experience. Um, what we're trying to do now in the process is find the best fit uh, for San Jose. And, and today's really the beginning of that process. Um, I want to kind of just uh, lay out some of the things that, that I think we're looking for, but certainly the community has been very involved with, with shaping this process and giving input. We, we are looking for someone who's open-minded and ready to engage in a dialogue that challenges conventional wisdom. Um, someone who embraces new approaches to public safety and builds on the progress that uh, our department has made through years of reform. Uh, we're looking for someone who's inclusive, insightful, adaptable, uh, works effectively in our very diverse community, 
and, and very important, someone who that is prepared to lead the most thinly staffed large police department in the entire country. Um, so no easy task. Um, it's not going to be a cop if you ask me. <laughs> all those things and has all those attributes. Um, yeah, I don't think a cop has it, all those attributes. No cop does. Department heads work for me. Um, and the way our process works, once I make that selection, with a lot of help <laughs> from uh, uh, community members and panelists and, and in stakeholders, but once I make that decision, then I go to the council for confirmation and, and the council, the mayor and the council either confirm or don't confirm uh, my selection. Um, you know, so today we really truly are at a, a transition point from kind of the recruitment process to really the selection process. Um, after today's forum, uh, the candidates will go through an extremely rigorous um, interview process. We've got uh, 50 community leaders and other stakeholders involved. And as I said, very rigorous interview process that will follow this. Um, all of your, your participation today is, is greatly appreciated. Um, and, and today's the, the first opportunity for you all as a community to get to hear from uh, our, our finalists. Um, the questions that will be asked today uh, were put together into themes based on 500 questions that uh, our community uh, provided to us through the, the survey process. So, did you submit a question, Producer Dave? Really about I'm not in San Jose. Hear from the candidates. I don't think it mattered. How they respond to these questions. I would have been like, when you hire a police chief, does he want people to beat? Does he want his officers to beat people like a medium high amount or like a high amount? <laughs> Rubber bullets or metal bullets? Um, yeah, so for those, just real quick um, background, uh, the gentleman speaking for so long here, blathering is uh, Dave Sykes, David Sykes. He is the city manager in San Jose. And in cities, uh, the city government in San Jose is interesting in that the city manager is really the CEO of the city. Uh, all of the department heads, as he said, work for him. He hires and fires them. The council can you know, can confirm or deny if he, uh, after the fact, if he makes a decision to hire or fire one of them, um, and they can hire or fire him. Um, but he, uh, Dave controls pretty much all the day-to-day -day operations of the city. Um, and the council is pretty much there as his board of directors to, you know, approve, approve what he does as opposed to having ultimate authority, which is like the, the mayor in uh, San Francisco, for example, London Breed has that authority, um, and can veto anything the city council wants to do and can certainly, um, and it can also hire and fire different department heads like the police Yeah, they call chief, that a so. strong mayor, right? Correct, correct. So there's a big debate now as to whether or not, and there's actually a, a, a charter review commission that's been impaneled to determine if we might want to move to a strong mayor uh, form of government here in San Jose, but anything would have like that would have to go to the ballot and more than likely next year. So San Jose voters be on the lookout for some, some changes coming next year that you can vote yay or nay on. But that's, that's Dave's role. And as you can see, uh, I mean, if, if you didn't have the sound on, or see the title up at the top, you would know this is a police chief interview session. I mean, look at these people. <laughs> they look like, uh, it, it looks like what it is. This um, guy's really leaving something on the table by not putting like a logo for his business or something on the TV in the middle square here, <laughs> where Alice would be. Right. That's actually uh, Jason Tyndall, I believe. He is the current interim chief, um, but he is one of the finalists for the job. Put the San, so, uh, San Jose PD logo up on this screen, right? Yeah, why not get some branding going? I mean, come on. Um, so you're going to hear these folks. We can probably fast forward a little bit to when they start going to the candidates themselves. And you're going to hear probably the, the most, uh, you know, 
pandering crap you're ever going to hear in terms of uh, cosplay racial justice or social justice warrior from from all of these folks because they know they know what's going on it's very obvious they know what's going on in the community right now and they're trying very hard to be cops but also to be woke and it's really funny to listen to a few of them um and my i won't tell you my horse yet but we'll talk about that later appreciate that um i want to join the city manager in welcoming all the candidates and the viewers oh come on yeah there's another another bureaucrat we can go a little forward to all you need to hear is a smattering of a few of these folks there you go Investigations, it's distinctly your future. Uh, women who intern for us for free and give us timestamps on all of our dockets, please. <laughs> there we go. Three or four minutes and tell the community about yourself and why you want to be the next police chief for the San Jose Police Department in the city of San Jose. Well, good morning, Gary. Um, it's an honor to be here today uh, to have this opportunity to talk with uh, with you all and the public. Who's need a raise so I can buy a mic that I can turn up? Uh, about the areas that they're concerned <laughs> about. Uh, my name is Jeremy Bowers, and I'm the chief of police with the Piedmont Police Department. Uh, but before I get into um, you know my professional background, um, I just want to provide an opportunity uh, for those who are watching uh, to have some insight uh, into who I am uh, as a person. Uh, I'm the son uh, of was born on a fishing boat. My father's African-American. Uh, my mother's Italian-American. Uh, my Italian grandparents immigrated uh, to the United States uh, at a young age with their families, uh, looking for opportunity uh, and a better life. Uh, my African-American grandparents um, persevered uh, through tough times and segregation. Uh, at 21, I began my career with the city of San Jose, and I met a young woman who eventually became my wife, uh, a woman who was born and raised in East San Jose. Uh, the daughter uh, of a Mexican-American father and an Italian-American mother whose families also came uh, to the city of San Jose uh, for a, a brighter future. And my brother-in-law was Indian and married a Nepalese. So when I think about yeah, I don't want this guy already. Of my family, uh, an extended family, uh, I see the beauty and the diversity of it. I see, the, I see how distinct each of the segments of it are. I see the strength of it when it comes together. And that's really the lens through which I see the city of San Jose, a city whose diversity uh, and inclusive drive uh, stand out as its strength. Uh, my experiences, uh, my assignments, my command opportunities have spanned um, operations, uh, investigations, administration, and training. Uh, a few of the assignments that I had, which were very formative for me, um, included the time I spent as the adjutant to the chief of police. I did that for two different chiefs of police over, over a number of years. What's an and, adjutant? Uh, really he agitates them. To look at, oh, of course. Uh, view of, of, of policing in San Jose uh, from the office of the chief of police. I have that experience. I have that understanding of those dynamics because I had a front row seat for it. I was assigned as the training commander of the organization where I was charged with delivering outstanding uh, training to the men and women of the police department. So Gary oh, so on the bottom left is Gary on the bottom left is really fucking this meeting up because his speakers are feeding back a little bit and making this guy's mic go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up. So he's really fucking up this meeting by not muting mute himself. himself. Got to mute himself. Yeah, I, I love that this guy. So this guy was in charge of training this candidate. Um, so he's the guy that trained uh, the cops to shoot the councilman with rubber bullets. That's good to know. From the time that they came into the department throughout their entire careers. And then I also had the honor of aiding in the establishment and coordination of the Chiefs Community Advisory Board, um, where basically uh, it's an entity that still exists to this day. Um, and it's, a, it's an important- And we still don't listen to it. In the department and the community. 
Um, I've sought and attained higher education. I received my Bachelor of Science degree from San Jose State University and my Master's degree from University of California, Irvine. I care about San Jose. I care about the San Jose Police Department and the women and men in it. For me, this opportunity to return um, is not just professional, um, it's personal. Uh, that's why the decision to take a leadership uh, opportunity uh, and broaden my perspective uh, was the most difficult. You know what? I don't like this personal story crap or when they introduce themselves, they don't talk about policy. It's, like a, real, it's like a real easy way to get around talking about anything of substance. Oh, absolutely. But it tells a lot about where they're coming from and about um, you know, how, how they perceive the, the job and the most important things uh, to, to, to the community right now. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to watch because they're just falling, like I said, falling all over each other to talk about how diverse they are and their background. And they come from, uh, you know, children. He's that he's one of two who actually said, you know, I identify as African American, you know, <laughs> get to the point, like, you know, stop, stop telling me how, uh, how black you are and tell me what you're going to do about, um, the bullshit that the PD pulls, um, when they pull people over or they, chase folks down um with guns who are just carrying like a uh you know tiddlywinks or like what if one of them came out here and said i'm a san jose native and i used i remember remember a time when san jose was fun and our police department has a reputation from the early 2000s of messing with people that were just trying to engage in legal entertainment and i want to try to as part of what one of the things i want to do is to try to work that stereotype out of our city here's the other things that i'm interested in blah blah i'd be like fucking I I don't like you. You're a cop, but whatever. You're better than the rest. Well, let's uh, we we'll see if if any of them get into that. Personally and professionally, um, I love being in the organization of San Jose, uh, but I wouldn't be here now uh, to lead uh, the department um, in endeavoring this work with the community in the same way as its chief without the differentiated experience and perspective uh, I gained. Uh, as a chief of police for the last four years, engaged in leading during this time and evolution of policing. I mean, in Fremont. I'm honored on. for this opportunity. Uh, Piedmont. Oh, Piedmont. I look forward uh, to the rest of the conversation today. Thank you. Thank you, Chief Bowers. Um, we're going to move on to Chief Dahl for your introduction. Take, please take three or four minutes and tell everyone about yourself and why you want to be the next police chief um, in San Jose. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. And uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to everyone. I really am honored to be uh, a part of your selection process. I know how important it is uh, for a community when you're selecting a chief of police. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just really pleased to be able to participate. Um, my name is Justin Dahl. I'm the chief of police here in Anchorage, Alaska. I've been chief here for about four years. Um, just a little bit about me. I, uh, I was born in Oregon. I still have lots of family in that area. My family moved us to Anchorage when I was fairly young, and I went to junior high and high school here uh, and ultimately college. Um, I've been with the Anchorage Police Department since 1996. Um, I've been very fortunate to have uh, a variety of assignments throughout the years, uh, doing lots of fun things, but uh, also lots of very developmental things for myself, uh, but also I've had a hand in, uh, in developing the department over the years. This is a guy who didn't think about what he was going to say. Uh, you know, as you no, he's winging it. At this point in my career. That's what they do up in Anchorage. Is, uh, investigations and administration, um, and ultimately as chief of police for the last four years. Um, uh, a little bit more about me personally. Um, 
I have a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Alaska and also a master of public administration from the University of Alaska. So he knows how to protect private um, property. Uh, attended the FBI National Academy to further develop um, my education as a police commander. And I'm a child of two uh, black parents. FBI's National Executive <laughs> Institute, which is a leadership institute for chiefs of uh, large city police departments. Um and Anchorage. My wife, Monique, and I have been married for uh, over 20 years. And, uh, and we can see Russia from our house. Together, uh, fishing and uh, boating here in Alaska. Um, I also uh, enjoy motorcycle riding and a variety of other sort of nerdy technical things in my off time. And I like that he uh, called motorcycle riding nerdy. Nerdy. <laughs> like, I don't have a ha- I don't have Harley or a dirt bike. Personal life. Uh you know, I am. Uh, I'm very excited to be uh, in this process and under consideration for uh, the chief's job in San Jose. Um, my wife and I have uh, literally grown up uh, here in Anchorage, and uh, and Anchorage has a very um, small town feeling and sense of hometown pride. And oh, they're gonna pick him. Oh, they're going to pick him because everybody in San Jose that fucking matters. And by matters, I mean money, which is San Jose was like a small town. Pretty much. Um, I, I can see why he's on the list. I don't think that he will be the choice, but I can definitely see that's that's a number one reason why he's on the list. Around San Jose over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, trying to do the best I can to uh, get a feel for the city. My sense is that San Jose has that same feeling. You have that, that feeling <laughs> of hometown Christ, pride. Um, Shot the uh, fuck up. The landmass of San Jose is is so big, and there's yeah. not that many people here for the landmass. But for fuck's sake, it's a big city. It's like the richest fucking big city in the country. It's yeah, not, we're not a small trying to be town. S- yeah, and we're not trying to, I mean, if you look at the plans and the aspirations, we're not trying to be a small town either anymore. Like, we're trying to be a city. Uh, so that's that's why I don't think he's going to fit in, simply because... Small town it, is also coded to mean it something is, else. Oh, God, it's very much coded, right? So just like urban is as well, right? right. Um, so I, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding here of what, what San Jose is. By a lot of people, though, and you're right, actually, it's by a lot of people who have money and have power and influence. So... Um, if you want to jump ahead i don't know if we want to go I mean, to the next it, candidate it's going to take us i think if they're only going to talk for two or three minutes it's going to take us longer to like fish around for everybody's opening statement than it will to just listen through the rest of them sure yeah i, I do have at some point to to go to the bathroom oh i mean you know the rest <laughs> of what this guy's going to say go, go 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 to the bathroom come back in a minute oh no i meant like i have to leave the show at, at oh. some point <laughs> so i only i only have until 9 30 and and that's really what we're looking for as we um, find our next adventure in life. Um, we know that we're ready to to move on from Alaska, and uh, as we've considered where we might go next, we've been very interested to find a combination of um, environment and uh, and the makeup of the department that would be I'm tired of the snow. Throw me a bone, guys. For us, and and we really think that San Jose is it. Um, San Jose is a beautiful city. It has uh, a wonderful uh, diversity to it. And you have a wonderful police department everywhere that I look. Mm, when I do look they have at, black people in uh, Alaska? What, yes. What San Jose oh, okay. police department is doing. Probably all live in Anchorage. You have a strong police department. It's very modern. The one black person? Forward thinking. I don't know. Um, and it it's has the pretty white state. Though, community. Yeah. And, and that's really the place that I want to go next um, to provide leadership and uh um, and share my experience and perspective, you know, and, and bring a, uh, a slightly different perspective 
to to help build on the really solid foundation that San Jose already has. So again, thank you. Uh, I'm very excited to be part of the process and looking forward to getting to meet everyone as we move along. Thank you. Thanks, Chief. Appreciate it. Uh, next is Deputy Chief Mata. Um, introduction of yourself, three to four minutes, uh, and why you want to be the next police chief. Thank you, Gary. Buenos días y gracias por asistir en este foro. Me llamo Antonio Mata y yo soy vice jefe de policía del Departamento de Policía de San Jose. My name is Antonio Mata. I am uh, the assistant chief in San Jose. I'm very happy to be here to be the next chief. I can assure that we are here to help you and protect you because we are all part of a community. And because I speak Spanish. And thank you and have a good day. I'm excited and honored to be a finalist for the San Jose Police Chief position and to lead this amaze, the amazing men and women of this department. It is important for everyone to know my journey and why I am the best choice for this to lead this department. My purpose has always been to help others and to give back to the community. Leading this department at this difficult time will be a great opportunity for me as I will guide and support our dedicated workforce and support and advocate for our community. My vision for the department is that all residents and visitors of this city have the highest trust and confidence in this department. I will do this by ensuring that we become a highly <laughs> engaged department through excellent service at all levels and by building relationships with all stakeholders. This is something I have done for the last 30 years and will continue to do. My journey began by being born and raised in the inner city of Chicago. I, like many of our communities, experienced living in a high crime area where gangs and violence exist. I also experienced racism, poverty, and limited opportunities growing up in one of the most segregated cities. Having lived these experiences has provided me, has made me and provided me the person I am today, valuing and demonstrating honesty, compassion, equity, and true relationships. I started working at the age of 12, which allowed me to pay for my education. I attended the University of Illinois at Chicago, where I earned Hope a master's not. in criminal justice. While attending college, I worked for the Illinois Criminal Justice Information Authority, where I was fortunate to work with and learn from criminal justice leaders and prominent professors in the field. I was a member of the Chicago Police Department briefly before joining the San Jose Police Department in March of 1996. During my 25 years at San Jose PD, I have worked in critical assignments. I attended San Jose State University where I earned my master's in public administration. As a commanding officer, I implemented various programs and policies to advance the department in partnership with our community. I have also ensured that our workforce is reflective of our community through assignments and positions. As the department's most senior deputy chief, I have prepared for this position by completing the necessary executive trainings, such as the Senior Management Institute for Police, the California Police Chiefs Association, and California's post executive development programs. And recently- I'm wrap it up. I'm having a hard time staying awake for this guy. Institute alumni series sponsored by the Major City Chiefs Association. As an executive officer, I'm heavily engaged with the community and have always been 
since the start of my career. All of these experiences and my background have prepared me to lead the San Jose Police Department. Thank you. Thank you, Deputy Chief uh, Mata. Uh, next, uh, Deputy Chief Randall. Um, three to four minutes uh, introduction and why you wanna be the next chief. Thank you, thank you, Gary. Good morning. I'm Heather Randall. I'm a Deputy Chief here at the San Jose Police Department and it's an honor to be here. Um, I'll spend a few moments talking about my experience and who I am. I was born and raised here in San Jose um, so I have a deep connection to this community Hello, Glenn. and I am fiercely committed Possibly. to this city and, Rose Garden. and its success. Uh, before coming to San Jose PD, I earned my bachelor's degree in psychology from UC San Diego. I was a behavioral therapist for the Center for Autism, working on classroom integration for children. Um, so a little different background than most, um, but I began my career here at San Jose in 1998, and I'm going on my 23rd year here. A great year for raves, which you wouldn't let happen here in my career and I'm very grateful for all of them and I've had the chance to lead and make meaningful change within our department. Um, we all have storied careers as you will hear um, and I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've been given here to grow and develop within my career. Um, I've had the opportunity to be a detective in our sexual assaults unit, our vice and special investigations, internal affairs, our media relations unit, and our recruiting and background unit where I had the opportunity to build a team restructure our recruiting outreach and backgrounding process and successfully uh, brought in the most diverse academies we've ever had here in the history of San Jose Police Department, something I'm very proud of. I was promoted to captain where I oversaw the Western Division, um, a very busy division, and launched our first crime data intelligence pilot program. Hello, Glenn. I was promoted to deputy chief where I oversaw our Bureau of Investigations and had the opportunity to stand up a new unit, one that's very near and dear to my heart, our special victims unit um, that focuses on human trafficking, internet crimes against children, and- Oh shit, is she gonna go queuing on? Compliance. Oh no, no, she's actually the best candidate to be, be honest with you. That's what I'm guessing so far. Field operations. She worked for IEB, so the other cops kinda hate her. sworn employees and 120 civilian staff. Um, and it's something that I'm very connected to. I think we have outstanding officers here and, and they really enjoy their work. Um, I bring a different perspective to the leadership. Chat's like she's not talking enough about how great the city never is. Been elevated to the position of chief in 170 years. And I'm very proud of that. Um, and I know that San Jose is the finest police department in the nation, but we do have a lot of work to do, a lot of outreach, a lot of community engagement that we need to do. And I think we're all up for the task. The events of recent have shown us that we can't point outward and that we must look inward. It's very important. Our department's not broken but a new perspective can keep us moving in the right direction uh, during this very important time. So I wanna thank you for this opportunity and thank you for having <laughs> me here today. Thank you, Deputy Chief Randall. Was that all of them? Um, Assistant Chief- uh, No, it's two more, I think. Uh, well, we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and stop it here because I wanna do this last story. Everybody though, do, um, if you're in your local Please area and they're, they're looking to hire a new police chief, make sure you kind of know what's going on. Um, of the people I saw, actually, I liked the, the, the guy who was boring I actually kind of liked him. He seemed okay, but the 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 woman at the end. The reason I liked her is because she was uh she was working in the internal affairs department. That meant she had to like rat out other cops. It was literally her job. Yeah, she's had a lot of uh, real challenging roles. Actually, she was also the PIO for the district for the P 
PD for a while too, the, the lead spokesperson. Um, and that that is actually a really very challenging position to have to be in. Um, and you learn how to be political and do all the things that a chief really needs to know how to do. Because at the end of the day, the chief is a really political position. It's no longer like the patrol officer or you know your, your rank and file investigator. You really are having to be a, a, a chief executive and a kind of like a mayor of your own department. So, um, you know, good luck to all of the candidates. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, please watch the video, check it out. And if you have any questions, um, I think Heather did make it to the final round of four. Um, I forget if the, I don't believe the anchors chief made it sad. Um, but we shall see chief Mata, the board, the boring one I think is in the, in the final mix too. So they tend to like to hire internally. So I, I would put my money on someone who's already in the department. Um, but we'll see what happens and we'll definitely let you guys know here on down ballot. Yeah. And I mean, had I known we'd have ended up up against it for that one, I would have probably blasted through a couple of the other stories, not, not yeah, covered them, but kind of, kind of glossed over them a little bit more. But anyway, yeah, I, I talked a little too much on those two. Anyway, at the end of the show, we always do a bit of a fun public interest story. And lately it hasn't been that fun, but this one, this one's fun. This is like, imagine being so rich that you live in San Francisco and you own of old Victorian house, and then you decide to move to a different location, and you just take your whole fucking house with you. Why the fuck go. not? A historic San Francisco home is getting moved this morning. Yeah, they are moving the entire house. We have a look for you at the property, 807 Franklin Street. The Victorian home has been at that address for 139 years. Leave it there. So this morning, crews will load it, load it onto a dolly. It will travel at a speed of one mile per hour over a distance of one quarter mile to its new location, 635 Fulton Street. Years of planning have gone into this move. It comes with a hefty price tag. This move, it comes with a hefty price tag, $400,000. NBC Bay Area shit's all fucked up. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they're they're jumping all over the place today. But um, yes, yeah, so if you got four hundred thousand dollars lying around, you know you can move your house with you when you move. Just leave it there. It's a hundred and thirty something years old. Just fucking leave the house there. Well, it's what? gonna get torn. It's gonna get torn down if it if it gets uh, if it stays there. Oh uh, well, then never mind. I mean, move it. Well, no, don't tear that fuck fuck off. Fuck all this shit. Fuck the story from the beginning to the end. Fuck the whole story. <laughs> except for the fucking they, except for the workers who were making pretty good uh pretty good wages to move that that house. Well. Uh, we can actually get video for the next down ballot of the, the actual move. It was pretty fun, pretty interesting to watch. Um, quite the endeavor. Uh, they had to negotiate around a corner at one point and just watching, you know, hundreds of people sort of moving around trying to make sure this big house doesn't fall off the back of the truck is pretty, pretty good. But yeah, if you ever bitch and moan about having to like, you know, move a box or something in your garage or, you know, shit, I got to, you know, get a ladder out and go up and get something out of the rafters. Like think about propping a two-story house up on a on a dolly basically and trying to move it a quarter mile um pretty interesting they're Without gonna damaging gonna, it yeah they're gonna have to get a new address window though because they've got a new you know new number for the house but um this happened this happened in san jose um back when the arena was built actually a few houses were were uh, old victorians were moved to make way for the shark tank so um, it's, it's sort of like a light version of eminent domain where they say, well, we can't, you know, we're taking your land, but if you want to keep the house, we'll help you move it. Well, uh, yeah, like good on, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying like the pe the, the only good guy, the only good people in that story are the workers who actually moved the house and made sure it got where it was going safely. Everybody oh, else, oh, the, the fucking, the person who designed the plans for it, but everybody who's was involved into the decision up to moving this house, fuck them all. 
Yeah, no, that uh, I'm all about the engineers and the people who actually are on the ground getting it done. Like, I love shit like that. That's just, it amazes me that they can even do that. Um, but yeah, fuck, fuck everyone. Else. Fuck the people who are paying for it. <laughs> um, and and figure out a way. Like, incorporate the damn building into your new building. Like, there's, it's not that hard. We can figure this shit out. Um, anyway, uh, thank you as always, Producer Dave. Oh, you want to, as they say in the biz, you want to read us out? Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, this this has been another special episode of Down Ballot. Down Ballot is produced by producer Dave, um, and it is sponsored by you, the listener and the viewer. Um, so please mash that donate button, mash that subscribe button on Twitch. Go to our website and find out ways you can support Echoplex Media because we're awesome. We're always out of focus. We're constantly on point, and sometimes we have to poop. All right, this is all uh, this is a song by Smoke and Mirror Sound System. I've been playing the shit out of this. If you can trouble yourself to stay for four minutes to listen to this jam by this guy, works with Curtis from Monkey, name is John Rye. This song is basically about 2020, the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and the way everybody's been dealing with it. And it's a little bit of reggae, so I think it'll be like right up your alley. Oh, sweet. No, I'm down. And when we get back, everybody, it's the post game. Uh, Justin Freakin may pop by, show's face on camera. The Media Wench may pop by. We've been having Xavier Zeta on on the show a little bit lately. Councilman already read us out. We'll be back in fucking five minutes. There's no light in there
Let the people be 